welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right. Welcome, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, My name is Micah, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Glad that you're here. We are in week five of a series called Wells and Fences that we have been doing. Over the last uh, few weeks, we're looking at this question of what kind of community do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? What's the animating sort of energy behind what we do and why we do it? And so we're using this metaphor of a well and fences, or uh, a centered set and a bounded set. And so if you're just catching up or just joining us, a little bit of refreshing. Um, this idea of a bounded set and a centered set is, is one, of, one way to think about how we organize ourselves as communities, and, and in our case, a spiritual community. And so on the left-hand side, you'll see a bounded set, a diagram that sort of uh, depicts that. And you'll notice that in a bounded set, what's most important is, well, the boundary. Uh, And uh, the energy or the question that's often asked is, do you believe what we believe? And uh, uh, the the sort of animating energy in that kind of community is often sort of patrolling the edges and ensuring uh, who's in and who's out. And there's a very clear distinction between who's in and who's out. And that is often, unfortunately, uh, the way religious communities can feel. And so we're sort of sliding over to this side and saying, what would it look like for a community to say out loud, we want to attempt to be, we want to, in the spirit, in uh, the way in which we hold uh, our beliefs and our actions towards one another, we want it to feel more like a centered set. And in this picture, the the most important thing is what's in the center and and a commitment to that thing that's in the center. Um, The the, the question that matters most here is, is really, are you thirsty? Uh, And are you moving towards that center, that well, if you will? And so at Awaken, we've just said out loud, or we're saying out loud, that this thing in the center said most clearly and concisely is the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. So that's the thing that we gather around. That's the thing that we sort of binds us together on a day when we welcome new people into the church, into the fellowship of the church. Uh, This becomes very, very important. So this morning, we're going to look at the fourth and fifth affirmation of the denomination that we're a part of. So we're sort of squishing two together. They both have to do with the church. And we're asking, really, what constitutes the church? What makes up the church? And then if the church exists, why? What is its mission? What is it doing in the world? So I've got two sermons that I'm trying to cram into one. um, And so we're going to, we're going to, make a few things abbreviated, but let's look at this first one first. What is the church, um, and how is it constituted, or how does it, how does it become? Um, and I think we first have to say this, this idea of the fellowship of believers. So, uh, by the way, the two affirmations we're looking at today are the, the church as a fellowship of believers, and then the, the whole mission of the church. So, what is the church? And what does it mean to say that the church is a fellowship of believers? First, of course, this idea of fellowship. And predictably, I turn now to J.R. Tolkien. If you remember The Lord of the Rings, yes. Uh, this is a fantastic film in which uh, the, 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 the short story of it is there's a ring of power, and these people, uh, well, this group of things, beings, halflings, dwarves, elves, humans, wizards, uh, hobbits, they, 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 they have to take this ring of power and basically ensure that it doesn't get into the, right hand, or the wrong hands. So they have to travel all the way to this place called Mordor and throw the ring into the, the place from which it was forged, the, the fires of Mordor. And the fascinating thing about this movie is there's really no common bond between these different beings. Again, there's an elf, there's a wizard, there's a halfling, there's a dwarf, there's a hobbit. The only thing that sort of binds this group of people together is this common mission to get this ring from one place to another. And they become a fellowship of the ring. 
And I think that's a really perfect analogy of what it means to be the church and to say that the church is a fellowship of believers. That you all in this room and your brothers and sisters around the world who affirm this idea, this well in the center of Jesus and his life and teachings and his death and resurrection, we become a part of something by virtue of our affirmation of that thing or that idea. Um, there are a lot of things that divide us or that sort of uh, separate us on all kinds of different levels, and yet there is this one thing that we all say yes to, that we agree to, that we're affirming and saying, we're in for that. And in that way, we become a fellowship of Jesus, a fellowship of this thing called the church. So it's a fellowship of believers. Uh, in the covenant, I'm quoting now from some documentation from a, a book called The Covenant Affirmations, we've, we've said this, it, being the church, is open to all believers. We do not expect that all believers will agree on every detail of Christian belief. What is required, the one thing, is that one be born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So in our denomination that we're a part of, we have said from the very beginning that the church is a believer's church. And the one thing, the one requirement of the church is to affirm faith in Christ. So we're saying out loud, we welcome any and all, regardless of race, gender, class, sexual orientation, or relationship status. If you say yes to the person of Jesus, you are welcome to participate fully as a member, we call it partner, in the life of our church. So the church is constituted, it becomes, it is a thing, and it is a fellowship of believers, people that believe and affirm this one thing about Jesus the Christ. Some people have said like, well, what about baptism, and what about this, and what about that, and what about all the different things that churches often argue about and divide over and say, you have to do this to be a member, you have to do that to be a member, and we've just, we're just sort of like standing in our tradition and saying, the church is open to all believers, any and all. And so if you affirm faith in Christ, then uh, that you are welcome to participate fully in the life of our church, which I think is a beautiful thing. And some people think like, well, that's kind of exclusive, don't you think? What about, but I would just say like any community, any group of people that gathers has at least one thing that is at the center of the thing that they gather around. And without that, they don't, it's not a thing. Do you know what I'm saying? So we're just trying to make the table as big as we possibly can without losing what is essential about Christianity, which is to say, I affirm faith in Christ. So, a fellowship of believers. Um, if the church is a fellowship of believers and no longer bound by ethnicity and the mark of circumcision as it was in the Old Testament, but rather now gathered around and this multi-ethnic gathering around the, the life and death of Jesus marked by baptism and new birth, what is the mission of the church? If that's how it constitutes, if that's how it's made up, then what, what are we doing here? Does anyone wonder that sometimes when you go to church? What are we doing here, by the way? I think of that all the time, actually. I have got to get a different stand by the second hour. Do you guys hear that? Just going to kill me. Stop touching the stand, Micah. <laughs> Uh, so this is where I want to spend the majority of my time this morning. What's the mission of the church? What are we doing here? And so I want to start with a question. And the question is, if you were to ask Joe, average Joe at your workplace, or Janine, to be gender inclusive, Joe and Janine, at your workplace, what is the purpose of the church? How do you think the average person would answer that question? So this is an all play. I'd love to hear some of your answers. If you were to ask the average person at your work, maybe not a church member, not a church attender, what is the purpose of the church? What do you think people would say? 
to convert. Teach? Yep. What else? Socialize. Control. Yikes. <laughs> Say it again, louder. To be a better person. To collect money. Okay. Say it louder. Obligation, duty. Okay, so that's the average person. To those of you gathered here this morning at the church, why do you, what is the purpose of the church? What do you think? Say it. Oh, you're, you're whispering to your wife. <laughs> Maybe not to be heard by the pastor. <laughs> What's that, sir? Uh, how would you answer the question? Support, give you hope? Donuts, holla. Community? Worship? Purpose? I heard something else back here. To praise God. Community, service, love. Do, do you see the difference in these two responses? Is anyone noticing this? The, sort of a different animating energy, a, a different idea, a different base level as to what is the purpose of the church. So I think we have a little bit of work to do in some ways in terms of our PR, but either way, I want to I try to unpack what is the mission of the church from the scriptures? What does it say about who we are and what we're doing here? And so to do that, we sort of have to go back. If we're going to ask, what's the mission of the church? We have to go back to what's the purpose of the people of God? And if you didn't know, there are actually two people of God in the, in the, in the scriptures. There is Israel in the Old Testament, and then there's this newly formed or newly constituted or, or uh, sort of like trajectory of Israel in, in and through Jesus in the church. But what's the purpose of the people of God? And even deeper than that, I think if you're going to ask what's the mission of the church, you have to ask what's the purpose of, of the people of God. And to get to that, I think you kind of have to ask like, what's the purpose of humanity? Because the people of God are made up of humans. So that's where we're going this morning. Go back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to make sort of three stops. We're going to start all the way back in the beginning and say, what? what's the purpose of humanity in, in the Bible? And then what's the purpose of the people of God in the Bible? And then what's the purpose of the church in the Bible? So that's where we're headed. First and foremost, what about you and I, humans? In Genesis chapter 1, we see that we are invited to be stewards and partners in creation. Stewards and partners in creation, intimately connected to the story of the first humans in the Bible or in the story, is this beautiful sense of invitation from God to be stewards and partners in God's good creation. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 11, the text reads this way, then God said, let the land produce, that's the key word, produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees and land on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. Uh, in it according to its various kinds, and it was so. The word there is dasha in Hebrew, and it means to sprout or shoot or grow, which means that creation is given the capacity in, endowed by the creator to create, to, to grow, uh, to, to sort of sprout. So not only creation, like the birds and the, and the plants, and, but all the animals out there and humans are given this, in, sort of endowed by God with this indelible gift to create, to grow, to sprout, to further. Which means that creation is not static, but it's dynamic. It's ongoing, it's evolving, it's still happening right here and right now. If you were to take a picture out the front of the church three months ago, you would see a very different picture than you do right now. Why? Why? Because creation's alive. 
Because creation is dynamic. It's not static. It's still moving. It's still happening. It's still dashaing. It's sprouting. It's growing. So given by God is this capacity and given to us as well as humans. And then in Genesis 2, we get this, this charge or invitation in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. In the King James, it's to till and tend. I would argue not today, but this is a broad thing, not just for men in the world, but for all of humanity. I can't argue that, but that's what I'm assuming. That God invites all of humanity to till and tend, to steward and care for, to be partners and stewards of God's good creation. So God invites humans to steward and be responsible to guide and work in creation, creation, creation with, with, with God, as well as the ability to create new life. So in the, a biblical theology of the church begins with a biblical theology of what it means to be human. And we learn that humanity has been given by God this gift to participate, to steward, to care for the good and beautiful creation we find ourselves in. Which is, by the way, why creation care and art and beauty is not ancillary. It is connected to the gospel and it's connected to what it means to be human and made by God in the image of God. It's not just for liberal tree huggers. It's for any human on the planet. And for sure those who affirm faith in God. Because we've been invited to participate in this, to guide, to steward, and to partner with God. So, this is what it means to be human. Now, what about the first people of God in Scripture, the Israelites? Genesis chapter 12 and Deuteronomy chapter 4, we get these two ideas of Israel, this group of people constituted around Father Abraham. I am Father Abraham and many sons. I am one of them. So are you, right? Genesis 12, we get these two words of bless and defend. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, verses 1 to 3, the Lord said, said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you so that I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse all the peoples on the earth, will be blessed through you. God's blessing of Abram and the group of people in the Bible called Israel is for something. Certainly, something happens to them, but it is for something, and in that sense, Israel is a means to an end, and that end is the blessing of the whole world. In and through a group of people who would be a city on a hill and a light that could not be hidden, that would shine for all the nations to see, which is why Jesus says that you've made my, my, my house of prayer into a den of thieves, like this thing was supposed to be for everybody, and yet you've sort of, you've, you've missed it, the forest for the trees. And so in that sense, the telos, the end, the direction that Israel was headed was to be a blessing for the whole world. And when we lose the sense that the, the people of God in the world are a blessing for the world, we've lost something fundamental to what it means to be God's people. Do you, if you were to ask the average Joe at your workplace, do you think that the church, like God's people, are a blessing to the world? Or pick a different adjective, right? Do you think that the church is good for the world? Deuteronomy chapter 24, we get this idea of bless from Genesis 12, but what else is said about Israel? Deuteronomy 24, we read this, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge, predatory lending. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is, that, that is why I command you to do this. 
When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, don't go back a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest your grapes, same thing. Don't go back. Leave some. Leave the extra. Leave that in the margin for the alien, the foreigner, and the widow, the fatherless. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. Fascinatingly, one of the most important calls or challenges to Israel in the scriptures is to defend the cause of the alien, the fatherless, the widow, and the orphan. When we talk about the people of God defending something in the world, it's typically not that, is it? It's like, we got to defend what's true. we got to defend what's right. we got to defend prayer in schools. I don't think any of those things are wrong or a bad idea. But it's fascinating that what the people of God in Scripture are called to defend, to be advocates for, is for those for whom shalom and peace is not their norm, where they experience brokenness and the, and the, the systems of brokenness and oppression on a regular basis. The people of God are to step in and defend their cause. So the people of God in Scripture are to be a blessing to the world. And when needed and necessary, which you, you're the judge of that, you be the judge of that, you look out into the world and ask, are there people for whom shalom, peace and wholeness and thriving is not their norm because of any number of reasons? It doesn't, give the, doesn't say why, it just says, if you find, if they are there, leave some to bless and defend, which is why at Awaken we do things like our work with IJM, International Justice Mission, and our work with refugees and asylum seekers, and our work with kids who, can't, who don't have enough food to eat on the weekends, right? These are the reasons why we do this, not because it's socially acceptable or because it's the good thing to do or because it's popular, but rather it's rooted in a deep understanding of who the people of God have always been called to be. So we have humans called to be partners and stewards. We have the people of God called to bless and defend. And then we get to the New Testament, where we get to what we call the church, where Paul uses this language of be representatives and outposts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though, get this, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, to be representatives and outposts. What if the mission of the church was about being representatives on behalf of the divine in the world, as if God were making his appeal through you and I? That's exactly what Paul says. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, what if when the people of God come to your homes or, or you come to our churches, they enter outposts of the kingdom of God. An outpost, like by definition, is an outlying settlement or colony in a remote location, acting in a way consistent with its home or country. So an outpost is essentially a group of people who have been sent by someone, a home, a place that they, that, that, that they call theirs, and they live that out in a different location. So what if when the church showed up, when the people of God in, in Christ show up to their workplaces or their homes or their schools, there, there were like outposts of this kingdom of God, people acting in accordance with the home or the country that we come from. Paul says in, in another place in Hebrews that you are aliens and foreigners. 
If you call yourself a Christian and you follow this way of Jesus, then that way of life in some way puts you at odds at times with the world that we find ourselves in. And that insofar as it does, we become aliens and foreigners. Like our, our citizenship, our allegiance is not to this place and these economies and these democracies or these kingdoms, but rather another kingdom. And so we come from there and we live here. And so when people find us here, they find outposts, they find Cities on hills, lights that cannot be hidden. These are the metaphors Jesus uses. Oh, boy. Not only have we been invited by God and in creation to be stewards and partners, but we've been called to bless and defend the cause of the widow, the orphan, the fatherless. But we've been invited to represent Jesus, this Jesus who dies with arms wide open to a world saying, Father, forgive them, welcome them, I, I'd like them back in relationship to be living, breathing outposts of his life, death, and resurrection. Let me close with this before I invite my friend Sarah to sort of um, share a little bit about what this means to her. This is from, again, the Covenant Affirmations, and it says this. The Covenant Church, therefore, is committed to reaching across boundaries of race, race ethnicity, cult culture, gender, age, and status in the cultivation of communities of life and service. This mission belongs to the whole church, this spiritual priesthood, this fellowship of believers, women, men, young, old, laity, and clergy. So the covenant seeks to hold together proclamation and compassion, witness, personal witness, and social justice, service and stewardship in all areas of life. What does it mean to be the church? It's a, it's a fellowship of believers gathered for a mission which we've been called and invited to participate in to be stewards and partners with God, to bless the world through our presence, God in us and through us, and to defend the cause of the orphan and the fatherless and the widow, and fill in the blank of the person that is on the outside of in, is on, in the margins in our world. And then, to be representatives, as if God were making an appeal through you and through me to the world. This is what it means to be the church. The question is, do you want to participate in that? I don't know. It's a question I have to ask every week when we gather. Is this what you're in for? Is this what you're saying yes to? I think that this, this idea, if, if, if the church is just about saving souls and evangelism and getting people to cross the line of faith, then we can go on doing all kinds of things that, we're, that maybe we ought not to be doing, like not caring for the world and just standing on corners with bullhorns yelling at people. So long as, if that's the purpose of the church, then we could just keep doing those things. But I would argue it is not. And that's not a very compelling vision of the future either. And so if it's something different where we're called to be a blessing and to defend, to be stewards and partners, to be representatives of God, making God's appeal to the world through us, well, that's something I could get in on. I don't know about you. I'm going to ask my friend Sarah to share a little bit about her version of the church and the mission of the church and why it's mattered. So would you please welcome my friend Sarah Nelson. Hello. <laughs> I am... So honored and overwhelmed and nervous <laughs> to be standing here today. Um, but I, I do have something I want to share. Um, when Micah asked me to share about wells and fences, and specifically from the perspective of the church as a fellowship of believers and the mission of the whole church, I started to think back on all of my church experiences. Um, and I'm a daughter of missionaries. <laughs> so I've had a lot of experiences in a lot of different churches. Um, 
from around the world, uh, ranging from rural Midwest American farm churches to urban, suburban congregations in a wide range of denominations, to a shack in a refugee camp lifting voices to the heavens in multiple languages simultaneously. I get to see the faces of those that I've met on these Sunday mornings in my mind's eye, knowing that together, today, we are on a journey seeking life and hope and love in the best ways we know how. These people around the world are singing with us, praying with us this morning. They are our brothers, they are our sisters, and God is active among them. The body we are a part of goes far beyond this building, far beyond this community, beyond this denomination, beyond this state, beyond this country. And the body, the capital C Church, is eclectic and dynamic. And it has a story, and it has wounds, and it has hope, and it has strength. It holds the stories of victims of genocide, of famine, discrimination, sickness, bullied children, poverty, wealth, innovation, healing, life, transformation, love, and hope. And as much as the church has a story of oppression and the oppressor, it also has the voice of resilience and healer. And I've been thinking about how much of a gift it is to have an image of this big church to have pictures in my mind of the men and women in Tijuana and Kenya and Austria and beyond. Um, but also how confusing Jesus can become when communities use the same words and verses for different purposes, goals, ideals, to meet them in their life circumstances. So what does it look like to be a well when across our country, not to mention our world, our Jesuses have different personalities, different values, all sourced from the same book but perceived through different life experiences? What does it look like to be a well when the church history has a long list of pursuits and ideas that have caused pain that are still real and happening today? After zooming out um, to this big picture of church in my mind and trying to figure out how to move forward with this complicated soup of emotions about the church, I find myself here in a memory I want to share with you guys. I want to invite you into a garden that I visited in 2012. It's tucked into a wild jungle on the hill in the Dominican Republic. The host's name is Migalina, and she's a fiery, fiery lady of wisdom. And she's in her later years, and she has the eyes and language of someone who's held a lot of pain and found healing in the depth of love. And she's the caregiver. It took a long ride on a dusty and rough roads in the back of a pickup to get there. And we get out of the truck and are handed machetes to cut our way through grasses that go, like, way beyond our heads. Uh, finally, we find ourselves in the jungle. There are giant trees, there are vines over our heads, and we come to an incline and our guide pauses. She becomes silent. Her hand stretches out to stop us and she whispers, look, and she points down to the ground. And on the wild ground, in the midst of this wilderness, there's squash, there's mint, there's a whole host and variety of crops going freely and abundantly. And we were in the middle of this garden. There are no signs, there is no path, there is no fence, and there are no rods holding plants in place. The crops are not sorted by type, they grow amongst one another. And without a trained eye, you would not know that you're in a garden. After studying the ground, I looked up into the canopy and then out toward the horizon, and this wilderness and garden just stretched out in every direction. And I think it's really beautiful and important that our story that we used to talk about, our brokenness and our beginning, starts in a garden as well. And I believe that that garden being described looked a lot like the garden I stood in in 2012. In a jungle garden, all seeds are welcome. There's no selection process, and all has the gift to be in a place where it can flourish. And they have the space to grow as they naturally would. The jungle's not safe, it's messy, and it's free. 
It's free to be imperfect, and it's free to be abundant. The life and death of all that exists in it is not replaced season to season. Instead, it's naturally cycling into itself to make the soil richer. The more biodiverse, the more fertile the soil. It all has a place. We all have a place. Our mess, our wounds, our excitement, our joy, our story has a place in the wild. So if I may, maybe another way, and maybe another way to think of wells and fences is this. In a backyard garden, the space is limited. It's safe, it's protected from weeds, rodents, and pests, and it grows in its contained space. Um, and that does produce, um, and it does feed some, and that is absolutely beautiful, and there is life there. Um, but its life is specific to the soil that's planted and to the seeds that are chosen, and it's replaced year to year. So now think back and imagine all the voices from all over the country that you know and that you've worshiped alongside. And imagine our brothers and sisters around the world this morning who are all worshiping Jesus with different lenses. This body is too big and too diverse for a backyard garden. We have to be a jungle. We have to be a place where all these voices crying out for Jesus have freedom and a space to grow. So awaken. <laughs> May we be a community where we all have space. In this wilderness garden, there's Armigalina, a wise caregiver familiar with wounds and the healing power of love and tenderness. She's taken away the fences and paths and keeps a close watch monitoring the needs the soil and plants have. We are meant to grow and to be a gift beyond ourselves, and I think we were made to risk and grow in the wild being keepers and providers of space for all people, all stories that inhabit this wild world, so that together we can find more abundant life. Thank you. Good morning, my name is Luke Buer. Um, I basically have only ever sat over here, um, so if you've, if you've been here the last few weeks, you may have heard my uh, seven-week-old son. Um, He's really good at being quiet during the music, but really good at cr uh, crying during moments of silence or prayer. I'm assuming this might happen actually now. Um, so when I first heard the metaphor of wells and fences, I recall sitting up a little straighter in my chair at the joke joint. Micah had captured my attention and he, he had engaged my mind. My wife and I, or my wife occasionally refers to my mind as something that's frustratingly logical, so I'll digress. Um, I studied physics and engineering in college uh, if you don't get the logical mind joke yet, um, I can't help you. Um, I started at a small Christian liberal arts university. I studied physics there for three years, and it was a great experience on so many levels. But truthfully, uh, there, <clears throat> there were some times that were very uncomfortable. Um, it was a really insulated community. Some would say it was a bubble. From my perspective, it seemed like the bubble was meant to protect the community, which it likely did for many, but unfortunately for others, the bubble blinded some from the reality of our world, while others used the bubble to actively avoid or even fail to acknowledge um, and maybe even justify the hurt and alienation that real people were experiencing, real people with needs who needed, um, who needed and were desiring to be seen, heard, loved, and accepted. After those three years, I moved on to a massive public research university um, to further my education in engineering. Uh, there was no protective bubble at this university. I met and befriended many um, with a diverse background of people. Um, as one does at university, I studied. 
often in collaboration with others. Uh, there's one specific study session with an outspoken atheist that sticks out with me to this day. Somehow in the midst of debugging some code, um, the topic of faith came up. Uh, my opinion was asked, I stated my belief, and there was a lengthy pause, and the individual looked at me and he said, Luke, dude, you're really smart, and you're, you're really a good guy. I really can't quite understand how you believe that, and it even surprises me more that you intentionally choose to associate yourself with, pe with a group that has hurt so many people. In that moment, I'll be honest that I felt stuck, and to be honest, I'd been stuck for some time. There wasn't, there, <clears throat> he wasn't wrong that Christians in the church, regardless of denomination and theology, have hurt and alienated many while not even being approachable to others. I naturally wanted to be defensive and acknowledge that um, not all institutions are perfect, and I wanted to articulate that I was different, but frankly speaking, I didn't have the language to articulate that. The only thing that I could say was, I'm sorry. Let's flash forward to today. Um, I do work in engineering. I work with early stage startups. In short, I help startups de-risk technology and bring it to market. Whether I'm working with a team to define a new product or interviewing new engineers, one of the main things that I look for is how well they can articulate and understand the problems that they're trying to solve. The best engineers and quite frankly the best companies are those that understand the problems they're trying to solve and can articulate them clearly. Rarely, if ever, does a problem find a solution if it cannot be named. So why does this metaphor of Wells and Fences so valuable to me? Well, this metaphor actually helped me to name the uneasiness that I wrestled with in the bubble. The well became the metaphor that I can use to describe my faith and what I'm striving for. That said, the metaphor, quite frankly, doesn't fix anything. Um, it doesn't fix any of the pain and alienation that many have experienced. <clears throat> to me, it's just a blueprint. It's a high-level requirement. It, it's gonna require a lot of work and intentionality, and I'm trying to do my part. I want you to know that I'm thankful for this community that we call Awaken. I'm thankful to be part of a community that doesn't try to sell people that we have all the answers. I'm thankful that, <clears throat> that we encourage one another to wrestle and consider. I'm thankful that we are striving to remove fences. I'm thankful that we have a community that challenges and supports both me but others. We're all working, and let's be honest, there's still a lot of work to do. To a group of people, who are really, really wealthy, really, really rich, full of possibility and potential and gift. What I want you to hear this morning is not, not a voice of, of cynicism or of sarcasm or of guilt, but a voice of invitation to be a group of people who gather the things we have in our hands and say to God, here's our loaves and here are our fishes. Use them for your name and your renown in the world. So take what you have, whatever it is, and invest it in whatever way you feel the Lord in inviting you to invest it. The question that matters most is what is in your hands. So be the church. Be the church that God has died to constitute in and through this Jesus. Some days I, I wish I could give up on this thing because it's just such a pain in the neck. But I just can't. So here I am. And I invite you to join me to be the church that, um, that is beautiful, that is broken, 
but that just continues to show up and offer itself in service of love and of hope in the world. Amen? Pray with me if you would. God, as we take just a few moments to pause, to consider, to wonder, to confess, I pray that by your spirit, which is present among us, that we actively and consciously depend on, that you would speak to us. If there's a word for us, personally or corporately, if there's an invitation, an exhortation, if there's a whisper that we need to hear, we want to take time in our day, time in our gathering for that to happen. So Holy Spirit, speak now, for your kids are listening.
stand as we close this morning. Have you ever heard that phrase, risk-reward? I wonder if from the divine's perspective, like this thing, like high risk, high reward, this whole church bit, like when you are what you're capable of, gosh, there isn't anything more beautiful. I don't know if you've seen the church being the church in the world, loving as Christ loved. It's, it's breathtaking. So leave this morning with that in mind, with that picture of a group of people representing, being called and invited by the divine to lay down our lives, even for our enemies, trusting that life is coming, that light is coming, that love wins. That death doesn't get the last word, even if we die in the process. Death doesn't get the last word. It gets a word, but not the last word. So as we close, I'm going to invite you, actually, to sing a blessing over each other as the church. Um, so, Mel, will you just give us a chord to start the doxology on? And uh, we'll just let the church do what the church does. Praise God from Blessings flow, praise him all creatures here Grace and peace, my friends. Go be the church. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.